everybody, and welcome to the NFL Roadshow with Week 15, mercifully, in the rearview mirror. Finally, it was a long one. Seven games from Week 15 totaled fewer than 33 points. Seven, you guys. Less than 33. Six teams failed to score more than 10. It was a fantasy football playoff nightmare. Also a nightmare of a week for a few of the league's best teams. And that's pretty much what we're going to discuss on the show today. The two NFC teams that seemed earlier in the season like they might be on a collision course to meet in the NFC championship game that have now run into a little bit of trouble these last few weeks. Most notably in week 15, when the Buccaneers failed to score a single point against the Saints and lost like half their roster to injury. And the Cardinals lost to the last place Lions, who didn't just beat them, but dominated them. Now, I've talked about the Lions a lot this year, and so you know I don't think that's as bad a loss as others probably think. They've shown signs of being able to do something like that for a while, but it's certainly not a good loss for a team that wants to hoist the Lombardi Trophy in a month and a half and has the bad taste of a late-season fade still in their mouth from last year. You'll remember they started that season 6-3, and three, sitting pretty, went 2-5 and five the rest of the way and missed the playoffs. This year, Arizona started 7-0. and oh. They've gone 3-4 and four since that time. And while there is virtually no chance that they're going to miss the playoffs this year, this is not the stretch run that they were looking for. And by the way, it could get worse. They've got games remaining against the Colts, the Cowboys, and the Seahawks. That is the 12th toughest remaining schedule in the NFL. And I think that that's underselling it just a little bit because the Seahawks aren't seen as a tough opponent statistically. And I think that we all know that that game could go in a different direction. That said, the Cardinals have a few things to figure out there in the desert, hopefully soon. And we've got Darren Urban, who's covered the team for 22 years, here to break it down for us. We're also going to talk to Greg Allman after Darren. He covers the Bucks for The Athletic. Uh, after 19 years at the Tampa Bay Times, and who, boy, are the Bucks keeping him busy this week? Godwin, out for the year with a torn MCL. Fournette, to IR with a hamstring injury, out until at least the start of the playoffs. Levante David, out for the same amount of time with a foot injury, and Mike Evans may be out with a hamstring injury. They are hemorrhaging talent at exactly the wrong time, and Greg will update us on the plan moving forward there. But first... Let's start in the desert with Darren and the Cardinals. What is going on? Let's break the huddle. Oh yeah, let's go! Two on two on two. Ready? Hi Darren, happy holidays. Is it feeling festive at all there in the building this week or not so much this year? How are people responding to the events of the recent weeks? Um, obviously, Lindsay, it hasn't been... Uh, super holiday right now because of of these last couple of games and, and especially obviously uh how sunday ended up i mean I, I think the assumption was this team was going to take care of business against a very you know poor lines team in terms of record and it didn't work out that way and so yeah there's a there's a there's a little bit of angst i would say right now uh, around this team and and we'll see how they bounce back on Christmas night, and uh, we'll we'll see if they can give a, a present to their fans. Any any kind of like here we go again vibe in the building because obviously this late season fade is a thing that has happened before, and I'm sure they're trying to ensure that that is not the way that this ends. But it's kind of starting to head in that direction. 
I, I think honestly, it's it's a fair question. I mean, because of of the history, uh, you know, Kyler Murray said after the Detroit game, look, uh, this is not the same situation. We're not going to let that happen. He needed to say that, although it was interesting running back Chase Edmonds, who was the guy who came out the first day of training camp this year and said, I'm going to address the elephant in the room. We folded last year mm-hmm. uh, and kind of was out front with it. He talked for the first time after being out a month with his injury, played on Sunday, played well, and basically said, I'm, I'm thinking about it a lot because I think we need to not repeat history and we need to remember history so we don't repeat it. So um, I, I don't think there's any question it has to be top of mind right now. But the only way they can fix it is if they win games. And they've got the Colts this week. Uh, they have to go to Dallas next week. And then they finish with Seattle, which obviously they're not having a good season, but that's always a crapshoot when these two teams get together. So... I mean, they're going to have an opportunity to change to, let's say, they'll have an opportunity to make whatever narrative they want to make, and it's going to be up to them. They can only turn things around if they can figure out what isn't working in the first place. I'm wondering what part of that has to do with Kyler Murray. He has not played the same since he came back from his injury. Is it still a factor? What's going on there? I I think... That's a great question. I I think especially with the Lions game, uh, he started to press. Um, Cliff Kingsbury admitted himself that he thought he pressed in his play calling too. Hmm. And and I do feel like, you know, right after the game, Cliff said, we need to remember there's no such thing as a 17-point touchdown. And it did look like sometimes with Kyler, some of the plays he was making, especially from kind of my bird's eye view up in the press box, there were plays – you know, kind of gimme plays he could have taken and he passed them up to try and get bigger plays. Sometimes he got them. Most of the time he didn't. And I, I think they need to kind of uh, get back to that. Really, if you look at how this team is built, I mean, I don't think the Rams game was all that terrible. The Rams are not a bad team. And I personally think if the Cardinals are smart and don't turn the ball over the two times that they did, that's a completely different game, especially that early turnover when they could have been up 10 nothing, and instead Kyler throws the interception right near the end zone. You can't turn the ball over against anybody, um, you know, and that was a problem against the Lions too. But the Lions game was the worst game. There's no question about that. But the, the Rams loss, the, the Packers loss, they, they played good teams, and the good teams won those days. Uh, they didn't play well against the Panthers, but that was without Kyler and Hop. Um, they obviously didn't play well against the Lions. I think they've got it in them to do what they need to do and what they've shown they're capable of doing. They're a team that I think operates better from the lead, uh, and I think they need to kind of get in that mode again. Um, their defense definitely plays better from ahead, getting some turnovers, and it'll be interesting to see what they can do against Jonathan Taylor to make sure oh. they have a chance to be ahead this weekend. Massive, massive test. I mean, of all the tests that this defense in particular could face, right? It's Jonathan freaking Taylor who's playing out of his mind in the MVP conversation. And that has not been Arizona's strength, stopping the run with one of the most explosive run rates allowed in the league. Are they built to stop him? That's a tough question right now. Would they be in better shape if they had J.J. Watt out there? Yes. Mm. Uh, It doesn't look promising that they'll have Jordan Phillips either. So they're down a couple of key pieces on the defensive line. And and obviously going into a game like this, that's not ideal. 
But I also know that this team, this team was the one team that slowed Derrick Henry. And again, one of the ways they did it was not only did they play well against Derrick Henry, but they got the lead in that game. And I, I, I think they're in a position right now where they, even if Jonathan Taylor can get some yards, if their offense pro- produces like it can, um, I think they'll be fine. And the question is, is that going to happen? You know, I, the, the, the way this team was built coming into the season, the way I saw it, was their defense could be decent. I thought maybe middle of the pack. They were above that for most of the year. Yeah. But this team was about their offense first and then the defense taking care of business where they needed to. And they did that so well for so long. Um, but if this offense isn't going to produce, this team's going to have trouble. And that's that's the reality. And and so there is a little bit more pressure on Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray and, and the non-DeAndre Hopkins offense to, to make things happen. Right. So DeAndre Hopkins... Uh, no longer being a part of the offense is obviously massive because he's so, so, so talented, but in a weird way, he hasn't really been a massive part of the offense in terms of box score statistics, that kind of stuff all year long. Anyone who plays fantasy knows that D hop didn't really pan out the way that people expected him to pan out. And he's missed a huge chunk of the season already and they've done okay without him. And so I wonder you know, it's not the ideal set of circumstances going down the stretch and heading into the postseason. but do they feel like those other guys have been put in a position to have to step up so that they at least feel semi-comfortable trying to figure out a path forward without him? I think the key with the hop stuff, his numbers were never great. He was good as a touchdown target. Uh, that was one. And the other thing is, is when he's on the field, the defense looks at you completely different, whether he's catching the ball or not. So that is the one thing you lose. Um, I think they've got a, I, I think they've got enough pieces. I, there are, there are places on this team that if you lost the best player in that position group, I think they'd be in trouble as great as Deandre Hopkins is. And there's no question this team is hurting without him and would be better with him. Um, I think wide receiver is one of the places they can kind of handle not having him but that means everybody else has got to play at the level that they're capable of Mm. i think james connor's had a great year i think chase edmonds when he's healthy has had a great year they can rely on those running backs not only running it but catching the ball and making things happen that way uh christian kirk has played well aj green has done fine um antoine wesley who's hopkins replacement Nobody knows who he is, but he can give you a couple catches. You need Zach Ertz. They have all these pieces, um, and that's my really long-winded way, Lindsay, of saying I do think they're capable of doing what, what they need to do to win games. Now, again, your quarterback has to be more accurate than he was. He's, he was on pace for an unbelievable year in terms of completions, and that he struggled a little bit, obviously, the last couple games, and definitely in Detroit. Um, they've got to figure that out. And, again, I think if he just – kind of settles into like, okay, if I got to throw this ball and get an eight-yard gain, just take it, um, which he's been good at most of the year. I-, I think a lot changes with this offense, and hopefully that starts this week. The running backs you mentioned, very, very good. James Conner scoring touchdowns at like an insanely Danian Tomlinson light clip. And Chase Edmonds, who I, th- I think he has, doesn't he have the most yards per carry in the entire league for a running yeah. back? I think, well, for a running back, I think Josh Allen's a little bit ahead of him. And technically, at this point, I think Chase is a handful of carries short of technically qualifying for something like that. But, yeah, he's got 5.9 yards of carry. And even he made the point, you know, you've got the second 
leading touchdown guy and the leading per carry average, we we can be the focal point of this offense. And I as long as they're playing from the lead, though, to your point, right? Because you could get running back sort of scripted out and they can't really afford for that to happen. Well, I, like I look at the Lions game last week and, and there was a little feel of that, too. Again, when Cliff says I'm pressing as a play caller, th- that was part of it. You know, if, if they go for it on fourth down, they had first and goal at the six. They go for it. They don't get any points down 10 nothing not ideal and and maybe you take the points in hindsight um but they were the lions were at their own three with like two minutes to go in the half you're thinking okay the worst that happens is it's 10 nothing at halftime and i think if it was 10 nothing at halftime cardinals got the ball coming out things change unfortunately the cardinals committed two 15-yard penalties on a, on a drive for roughing the passer and jared goff takes them all the way down for a touchdown right before halftime and that completely changes the complexion of the game and, and those are the kind of little things where it's like you just you can't have those moments where everything goes bad at once. The the, the mistakes uh, when you and the first and goal and then giving up the time. That's everybody coming together. They always talk about complimentary football. That's bad complimentary football where everybody falls apart. Um, so getting back to your original point, you can take the running backs out of the game, but most of the time the Cardinals have not been in that position. The Panthers game and then kind of the Lions game. The Rams game they were never that far out of it and the Packers game they were never that far out of it and in reality you know both those games you could have seen them pulling it out obviously the Packers game they were right there on the doorstep of possibly pulling it out so um, you know when people talk about the skies falling and and you don't want to be playing this way like you did against the Lions down the stretch the the league is so close I mean even when they have their problems it's just like eh, you know a couple plays here and there which is the league. You got to get over that. But it's not like this team all of a sudden is bad. Right. And so I realized that this is looking at last week's game and the way that the running backs were used is a little bit doesn't tell the whole story because of the game situation. Right. But we're trying to figure out, you know, Chase Edmonds and how he worked, like what this backfield looks like now that you have Chase Edmonds back there after not having him for such a long stretch. He had 29 snaps, Connor's 33. How do you see the backfield looking moving forward? Uh, you know, they broke it up last week in a lot of ways like they had when they were both healthy earlier in the year. I know Connor has been the workhorse and he's been fantastic. I mean, James Conner has been way better than they could have expected. Uh, way this better. Year, and you couldn't be happier for a guy because he's. But he's his yards January. per carry is actually fairly low, right? Yes. And he's that's the thing is. Touchdowns. It's kind of crazy. Just, he's produced the touchdowns. He's had some big runs and big catches. One of the reasons his average uh, per carry is so low is that when they have had the lead, they put him in the game. They run him up the middle. He might get two yards of carry. He does not care if his stats hurt. And you're just trying to run the clock. And that's what he's there for. Or if you get Chase Edmonds getting you all the way down the field and you bring him in at the two-yard line, okay, a two-yard run for a touchdown, that's only two yards, but it's a pretty big two yards. So he doesn't he doesn't care about that. Uh, I think his stats kind of skew a little bit how important he's been uh, when you look at that. But um, I do think it'll it'll be split up fairly evenly going down the stretch. I mean, James, they wanted to get fewer snaps for James Conner anyways. He's dealing with some deal. Like last week, he had an ankle. This week, he he's not practicing because of a heel. I think they just like to lower and put him in spots anyways because of some of those things, and that's why it's, why it's great to have Chase Edmonds back. So 
I mean, fantasy-wise, I feel bad for anybody who was riding James Conner uh, to their championship because that those days with Chase Edmonds back are over. He's not going to get that kind of that kind of load anymore. From a wide receiver standpoint, with D Hop out, the way it looked last week was a ton of targets to Christian Kirk and then Zach Ertz, who's become a huge part of that offense uh, with double-digit targets. Also, is that the way you see things moving forward? Would it be some AJ Green or a lot of AJ Green, depending on who the matchup is? I, I think you know. I think Kyler really likes to look at AJ when he's got one-on-one coverage. That's become clear, even on some of the bad plays like the interception last week uh, or the end of game Packers interception that was all because AJ Green was one-on-one and you know I I think he kind of got away from whatever the original play was to go to what you think is a advantageous matchup so AJ Green definitely feels like a matchup guy to me rather than a constant target Kyler and Christian Kirk have a great uh, chemistry that will continue to be Christian Kirk's having his best season had a couple drops last week that has been uncharacteristic for him this year but um, he'll be a target. Ertz is going to be a target. And I wouldn't, uh, you know, Chase Edmonds was only targeted one time last week. I would anticipate he gets some more targets going forward. He's a really good receiver uh, and he's good in space. And so we'll see what happens. Not having the potential of not having Rondale Moore, who, who hurt his ankle last week, changes some things up too, because he's been a guy that's gotten a handful of touches every week in kind of that, you know, jet sweep quick screen kind of role for cliff so we'll see where that goes why not more he is so fun to watch he's an explosive player he looks like there's so much versatility there and seemingly a lot of talent he kind of looks like kyler right like it looks like kyler like throwing the ball or handing off to himself yeah i i think i think they're still trying to figure out completely how they want that to go i mean I know uh, there's always a chance of, hey, once in a while, maybe send him down the field, which he's done very infrequently lately. Um, but I, I think I think a lot of this just has to do with, you know, hey, everything was working so well early in the season. We, we need to kind of get back to that or we want to try and get back to that now that Kyler's back at quarterback. Um, obviously, that hasn't quite worked out the way they wanted to. And, and I'm very curious to see one of the things I like about Rondell Moore or even using these backs is, is, okay, if these teams, like last week, I felt like the Lions blitzed a lot. They brought a lot of pressure, you know, and they went to the screen after a little while. And it's like, that's how you slow down that stuff is to get the, the quick passes out to these guys in space near the line of scrimmage and just tell them to go north-south. So, um, you know, I, the, the more thing is very curious to me, like in terms of whether he's able to play this week, because if he doesn't, how do they handle that? Andy Isabella has barely played. He's played 19 offensive snaps all season. He was the guy drafted to be Rondell Moore before Rondell Moore. Mm-hmm. So do you do you drop him into that role? Do you not feel comfortable with him in that role? Does things change an awful lot? That's, that's going to be really interesting to watch. I got to tell you, Christian Kirk, I think, has been one of the best stories of the season so far, because knowing that going into the season, he was effectively kind of, at least it looked like maybe he was the guy who was left without a spot, you know, like in a game of musical chairs there at wide receiver, he was the one without a chair going into the season and had to kind of earn his way back in. It looked like anyway. And I, I, man, he has done that with a vengeance. Yeah. Well, uh, as we all know, Lindsay, 
when you go into the last year of your contract, that tends to up the stakes a little bit, and that's where Christian is. And, and that doesn't mean he hasn't worked hard every other year because I love Christian as a person. I think he's a leader on this team, uh, and I think he's a really good football player. But it doesn't hurt that you know you're playing for your future. Um, I think one of the things that really helped Christian was I, I think from the outside it was easy to see that because you're thinking, okay, Rondell Moore gets drafted and he's that slot guy. But I think all along they kind of saw Rondell Moore as more of a gadget piece, at least as a rookie. Um, where Christian really benefited was Larry Fitzgerald retiring. I guess we're calling it retiring. I've <laughs> seen it as retiring all along. We think, Even if right? Larry isn't willing to say it. Well, if um, he's not coming back now, he's probably not coming back. He's not coming back. Um, but – Larry, in the previous years, he wasn't an outside guy anymore. So the only place to put him was in the slot. And so that cost Christian Kirk a chance to be where I think he's best, which is in the slot. And having Hop and bringing in A.J. Green changed that equation. And you got Christian Kirk playing in the slot where he's more comfortable. And I just think, I just think he fits so much better there. And, and I think it's shown on the field. Last question. Did you get a custom golf bag and fitted clubs from Kyler? Or was this just the offensive line? No, this was just the offensive line. Uh, I'm not feeling too bad about it. I don't, uh, even though I've lived out here my basically my whole life, I don't really play golf. So uh, what? And as, How do you I live in I Arizona and avoid that? that? No, I because it was always too expensive. And I, maybe I'm a little different later in life, but for the vast majority of my life, Lindsay, I don't think my temperament was all that great for golf. <laughs> I tend to get a little heated really quickly so i don't know if i i was there for the patience for golf but you would have look, needed I, a lot of fitted clubs for when yeah. you broke them <laughs> but um look kyler i think it was cool that he gave uh those that gift to the offensive line he's done a really nice job coming up with something creative every year whether it's uh the big fat tire scooters that he gave to him a couple years ago or the golf clubs or or I think one year he gave them the, the cool giant egg uh, grills or smokers or whatever those were. I mean, he's, he's made a big effort. And, you know, he needs them. He really needs them this week um, because the pressure was big last week. He struggled last week, but part of it was because he faced a lot of pressure. So I'm hoping he's in a good frame of mind. Uh, I'm hoping they're all in a good frame of mind after last week. It's going to be Christmas. It's going to be a home game where the Cardinals have not played great football at home, uh, national TV. Uh, they need a win. They need a win because I don't think they want the weight of the NFL world on them. And let's face it, that's kind of where it is right now. You turn on the TVs, you turn on NFL Network, you turn on any of the other channels. If the Cardinals come up, it's, it's not particularly pleasant to listen to. So I think they want to change that. Darren, you're the best. Thank you for your time. Happy holidays. I appreciate you inviting me. Thanks, Lindsay. And we'll be back with the story from Tampa with Greg Allman of The Athletic. They're looking for answers and also playmakers after a rash of injuries, and that is coming up next. Hey, everyone. It's Brad the Big Noise Evans from the Feed the Noise podcast. From Monday through Friday, catch me and the good sir, Nate Lundy, as we take you through each day's best sports betting opportunities. Whether we're talking spreads, totals, props, or anything else, we will do our Fade 5 to give you the knowledge and confidence to place your bets. Always remember, fade or follow, that's up to you. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts or listen on the SXM app, free for both subscribers. Let's start here. How are they handling the way that things have transpired this week there in Tampa Bay? Yeah, it's crazy in that uh, it's, we had known going into the season, like the single biggest obstacle was staying healthy and avoiding injuries. Um, and they'd had 
a ridiculous number of cornerback injuries and kind of just small doses everywhere else. And then Sunday. Um, so Chris Godwin is out for the year. Mike Evans has a hamstring. Leonard Fournette, Levante David, uh, four huge central players. Um, it's a little bit mitigated because these next three games, um, all they have to do is win one and they're a division champ and they're playing the Panthers, the Jets and the Panthers. When, how serious all of these injuries are. So Godwin is out, period, done. Right. Yeah, Godwin has a torn ACL. He's looking at, you know, nine months plus. Terrible, terrible thing for a great guy who's headed into free agency. Could very well be back here still, uh, but not what you want in the last month of a year playing on a franchise tag. Mike Evans, it looks like is fairly, right now at least, not serious. Uh, as a hamstring, I would be surprised if they play him in a not that meaningful game the week after a hamstring injury. Um, Levante David and Leonard Fernandez looks like are going on IR, which is to say they won't play again in the regular season. I think in both cases, there's still an optimism that they could be back for the playoff opener, which is only four weeks away. Okay. So with Fournette out, let's say for, uh, a little while, what does that mean for the running back position there? Because they have Rojo, uh, he becomes the starter. Presumably you've mm-hmm. got Gio Bernard. He's on IR. Right? right. You have Keyshawn yeah. Vaughn. You signed Le'Veon Bell for death. Yeah. How do you see them using yeah. these guys? I think Ronald Jones steps right into that primary bell cow Leonard Fournette role. Um, he was their leading rusher a year ago, rushed for almost a thousand yards and, and kind of got pushed aside by Leonard Fournette. I mean, this was, I remember in August, this still seemed like a job share, like an even split. Um, and Fournette has been good enough where I mean, Ronald Jones matched his season high with 63 yards Sunday. Um, and he had 93 yards total in the six games before that. So you'd say, hey, fresh legs, um, you know, for a guy in December, hasn't had to run very much. This is a big week for him. Um, Carolina last year at Carolina, he had a 98-yard touchdown run, rushed for 192 yards, had a massive game. So if there's any week where he should be confident to suddenly take on the big, big role that he hasn't had all season, it should be this week. And he yep. gets the... I think I think he's there for 80% of the running back snaps. Le'Veon Bell's coming in cold, hasn't done anything in six weeks, was threatening guys to box them in matches last week, and now is in an NFL roster again. So um, I would think he is probably just like the third down pass catching back. Um, he's just established, proven depth. They have a kid named Keyshawn Vaughn, as you mentioned, second year back out of Andy, uh, who didn't necessarily step up real well Sunday against the Saints, had a drop, had a stop on third and one. Um, he, he could take on more. He's probably better prepared than Le'Veon Bell is after three practices. Uh, but those are their options right now. When when would Geo is Geo a possibility to come back? Yes, he's got two more games on IR. He went on IR last week was his first game. So he's at least two weeks away, and that's presuming he's healthy. He had knee and hip injuries. Um, so he's not necessarily the cavalry here either. So maybe this is J- Rojo's chance to be playoff Rojo. It really is. For Ronald Jones, yeah, I mean, Ronald Jones, he's in the, like you said, last year was playoff Lenny. Leonard Fournette was in the same boat, completely forgotten going into the last month of the season. Rojo got COVID, Rojo got hurt, and Fournette absolutely just grabbed that opportunity. And it's actually big for Ronald Jones because Ronald Jones is an unrestricted free agent this spring. And I would think based on how he's been used here, he probably will want to go somewhere where he's valued more. Um, the Bucks, all of the Bucks running backs are free agents, so it's it's kind of Burnett, Jones, Bernard, Le'Veon Bell, uh, all of them can reset this spring. But I think for Ronald Jones, if he comes out 
has, you know, multiple hundred yard games in the last month of the season, he really helps remind them that he used to be a guy who was almost a thousand yard back. From a wide receiver standpoint in the passing game, how do they reshape that? Because Antonio Brown is back, whether he should be or not, you know, one strike and he's gone. Oh, wait, right. nope, not one strike and he's gone. He's coming back. Um, so Antonio Brown is there. You've got Tyler Johnson, but just take Godwin and Evans out of the offense, even for a short period of time, obviously it just transforms the way that things look. And we saw, uh, Tom Brady. I mean, he had it, he didn't play well. I wonder how much of that had to do with the offense and all of his weapons just leaving. So all of a sudden he's throwing to guys that he wasn't planning on throwing with, and maybe doesn't have that many reps with how much do you think that was a factor in what we saw last week from Tom? Absolutely. I, I mean, Brady. Brady had a rough game. I think he averaged four and a half yards in attempt, which is not a Brady-like number. Um, had two turnovers in the fourth quarter. But again, I mean, if, if your top two receivers, if your go-to running back are all gone, and then to top it off, Rob Gronkowski has maybe his worst game as a pro. Oh, um, 11 targets, two catches? How does that 11, even happen? Right. And, and it's bad because it, it was it was sure it was literally drops on passes right in front of him, like probably two bad drops. It was a beautiful pass that Brady threw down the right sidelines that Gronk never saw. And if Gronk had just held out his hands, it was a catch and maybe a touchdown. So add all those things together. The, the depth they have at receiver are guys that really haven't played much at all. So um, you look at somebody like Tyler Johnson or Scotty Miller or Jalen Darden played more. Jalen Darden's a rookie, primarily returner. He played more offensive snaps Sunday than he had all season, but again, had three targets and no catches. So um, Bruce Arians had really hoped that some of his young receivers who have been kind of lying in wait all season would step up and make plays. And unfortunately they didn't. Well, they're going to uh, have opportunities moving right. forward. The other name is Prashad Perriman and that Perriman would have been in, in a great position to get eight, 10 targets Sunday under these circumstances. He has COVID uh, he's on the COVID reserve list. So he could be back this week. He went on Saturday. So if it's a 10 day window, he's not back, but under these new protocols, if he just gets two negatives, he can come back. So if Perriman comes back again, a guy that was, was basically on the street a month ago, he would be probably wide receiver too, the way things look. So again, Antonio Brown hasn't played in 10 weeks. So you worry about hitting him with too much just from a physical conditioning standpoint. Um, you don't want to go from zero to 60 snaps in one week. That's, that's another hamstring injury waiting to happen. So he'll be the guy that, that they trust the most. Um, I would think they're going to be careful with how much they use him, but oh, he's going to get the ball are awful though. Cause you need to like the, it's the one set of circumstances where you sort of are looking at him though. The point that you made earlier, I think is a strong one. Like, you know, they're playing Carolina and they're playing new New York and then they're playing Carolina again. And so they're in a position where they don't want to sacrifice what they want to do in the postseason for what they want to do in the short term. How, how much do you think that they value the seating at this point? How much of a priority is that? Yeah, I was about to say it's a big thing because I mean, it's, there's so much in flux. There's four teams that are 10 and four right now in the NFC. So the Bucs can literally win out and drop to the fourth seed, or they can take two out of three and be the two seed. There's a lot of things in play. The only thing that's really out of reach for them is the number one seed um, because the Packers would have to lose twice. And I don't think that's happening. Uh, but the difference, even between two and three, that's the difference between going to Dallas in the second week of the playoffs or, or bringing Dallas or Arizona or the Rams to you in Tampa where you know that they've been really good with the exception of Sunday at home, they've scored at least 30 every home game. So I really think if you look at Tom Brady's playoff history uh, before last season, when being on the road really wasn't being on the road, Brady's 20 and four at home in the playoffs and he's four and four on the road. So his, his path 
that he's taken to the Super Bowl has always gone through home games. And I think that still has to be a big focus for them. If we're looking at, you know, the, the talk about with Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady receivers that they trust, right. And, you know, if you go to somebody and they don't make a play, are they going to go back to them or did they not trust them for the rest of the, are there any players on the team or relationships there with Tom Brady that we don't know about guys who work a lot with him after practice, like earlier in the season, I remember that Zay Jones made that massive catch for, for Derek Carr and the Raiders and Derek Carr went into this whole long story about so great together at 6am and he trusted him in that moment. I don't know that how, how true (laughs) that is because he hasn't gone to him all that much, but you know, are are there any stories like that in terms of where he might go? Right. I mean, the receiving core has been such a comings and goings and in and out with injuries and stuff. Scotty Miller is a guy who, again, had made the biggest catch of the season last year, has that touchdown before the half in Green Bay. It's just an absolute dagger that, that gives them separation and so much momentum on the road. And Scotty Miller is basically a forgotten man. I mean, I think he has three or four catches all season. He was gone. Again, he's another guy who was gone with turf toe for like seven weeks, but he's been a healthy scratch in games. Um the fact that Brashad Perriman had that 58-yard touchdown in overtime, he's in because Scotty Miller didn't play in that game. So Scotty Miller's a guy who he should have a rapport and a history with, but they've barely thrown to him at all. O.J. Howard, again, former first-round pick, guy that you know really last year before he got hurt seemed to be clicking with Tom Brady, and he's nearly extinct. I mean, he's had less than – he's had 10 snaps or less in four straight games um, since Gronk has been back. He's barely been a part of the offense. So there's definitely guys on this team that Brady has had success with in the past that if they saw a matchup against Carolina they liked, you could throw six passes to O.J. Howard and get five five catches for 70 yards and a touchdown. But that hasn't been their M.O. It it seems like it's going to be a lot of A.B. It's going to be a lot of Rob Gronkowski, who hopefully has a better game for them. And then, honestly, Ronald Jones. I mean, Ronald Jones. If he really steps into that Fournette role, it's going to mean six or eight targets out of the backfield, and they're going to have to trust that he's been uh, that he's a better pass catcher than he's shown them in the past. That that's what they like their backs to do, and it's probably easier to ask Ronald Jones to do that than to trust Le'Veon Bell for more than ten or fifteen snaps. Are there any mixed feelings there in the building about Antonio Brown coming back, or is he welcomed with open arms? Yeah, it's funny in that you'd think there might be. I mean, you'd think. I mean, Bruce Arians is 69 years old. He's a cancer survivor. He's got multiple assistants who are also AARP age. Tom Moore is 83 years old. So there's this line in in Bruce Arians' book that came out this year where he literally told the players last year, like, if you get me or Tom Moore sick, I'm going to come to you with a shotgun and shoot you in the head. Well, that's extreme. Wow. Again, and now, yesterday I asked Bruce if it bothers him at all that Antonio Brown and two other players presented themselves as being vaccinated when they weren't. And he said, I'm fine. So I don't know if that's just the easy company line to make it easier to swallow that you had this, what's basically a betrayal and you kind of have to welcome him back with open arms because you need him. I mean, it's a football decision that Antonio Brown is on this team. And again, I, I think Antonio Brown did a lot in the year between coming to Tampa and presenting a fake vaccine card to earn that clout and to build trust, not only with Arians and with Brady, but with the whole locker room. I mean, was very much liked here, had done and said all the right things. It's just in this one instance, he definitely didn't. And the Bucks, given where they are, are, are kind of okay looking the other way about that. 
Well, he's out to prove something for sure in these next few weeks. Uh, he's come out firing in his return, tweeting for people to put some respect on his name. Be careful how you treat people because you never know when you need them. I don't know if he's the most self-aware human being yeah, on that, the face of actually, the earth, but that's contrition for Antonio Brown. That's that's not what you'd expect to see, but that's kind of who he is. So this last week was a an extreme set of circumstances, and now they're obviously dealing with something that is extreme in terms of the injuries. They just lifted off. Like, I mean, they're going to look completely different for the next few weeks. Is there was there concern in Tampa Bay prior to that about the fact that it's been a weird year? I feel like maybe we focus less on some of the ups and downs in some of the cities like Tampa Bay that we've seen this season, because we're seeing them all over the place. We're seeing Arizona kind of go through a funk. We've seen LA, the Rams not necessarily look like what we thought that they were going to look like. And I think that there's an expectation that like the good teams are going to still be there at the end. And it's proving to be true, but I'm wondering if, 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 there's a reason for the roller coaster or, you know, I think it's easier to maybe look toward the playoffs and say, they're going to be fine. If you can put your finger on why it's happening. Do you think that they've been able to do that prior to this past week there in Tampa Bay? Yeah, I think there've definitely been, there's been multiple times where you've kind of written the, there's no such thing as an ugly win type story where one side or the other, you go back to uh, the Falcons game. They've had a, a lot of games where they play really good for one half and then unquestionably bad in the other half. So you look at uh, Buffalo, and they're up 24-3 at the half on Buffalo. Like, wow, this team has clicked. That might be their best half. And then that game went to overtime. So um, they're a very inconsistent team on defense. And I think a big part of that is that they've had so many injuries in their secondary. Uh, Carlton Davis, Sean Murphy Bunting are two central parts of, of why they can be aggressive defensively, and they missed like seven and nine games each. They've missed safeties. They're now going to be without Levante David. They were without Devin White for a period. Um, Beyond their D-line, they've had such a ton of of injuries to where it's not only is it a different lineup every week, they've had a lot of weeks where they lose a guy in the first quarter, where not only were you shorthanded, you didn't realize you were going to be shorthanded until the game started. Mm. And that makes you scramble. I think it makes Todd Bowles as a play caller less aggressive because the guy he thought he had on an island as a corner is gone. And the drop-off is considerable. I mean, they're playing guys off the street. They're playing special teams guys at corner. And I think that I think that just makes him uh, less aggressive and probably less productive when he is aggressive. So there's always been, like you said, there's always been that, like, if they get healthy, they'll be fine. So now it's the, what if they don't get healthy? Like, who are they if they're at 80% as a team? You know, so much of last year and why they did well is that, except for – Vita Vea here and there, O.J. Howard, they were really healthy. They, they finished the year very close to full strength. And now there's the possibility that they won't, or that they'll start the playoffs. Levante David is, is the heart and soul of this defense, even if he hasn't had the best year from a productivity standpoint. So if he's not there, that's a big thing. Leonard Fournette has been a huge, he's probably a good chance of being a pro bowler tonight when they announce it. He might not be there. Evans and Godwin are, are probably you know what has made Brady the 44-year-old Pro Bowl MVP candidate that he is, and they might not have either of those. So there's just a lot of question marks in places where you don't want to have them in December getting into the playoffs. It's that time of year, so there are other head coaching jobs that have become available. I want to ask you about Byron Leftwich because there's no doubt that he's going to get some calls. What are the traits that he has that would excite an owner that is looking for someone to lead their team? Yeah, he's super young. He's three years younger than Tom Brady, than his quarterback. 
play caller, successful, and you can sit here and say, well, he's got Tom Brady as his quarterback. How good do you have to be? Um, Bruce Arians loves him. I mean, Bruce Arians gave up play calling to let him learn on the job and be a play caller. And this is the number, this is still, as, as much as they touched about Sunday, the number one scoring offense in the NFL, the number one passing offense. Um, you know, Jacksonville came open, and, and Byron Left, which is a guy who was a top 10 pick of the Jags, was their starting quarterback for four years. If you were looking for somebody who's kind of a foil to Urban Meyer, Byron is, is squeaky clean and, and is going to be someone who is well-liked, is well-known in Jacksonville. Um, you know, young offensive minds are kind of the, the hottest commodity usually when you're doing these these coaching searches in the postseason. So he's right there. Um, Todd Bowles, again, the defense has been inconsistent, but was a huge part of why they won a Super Bowl last year. And I think some of the reason that Todd Bowles was able to stay here last year is that they kept playing. And these teams are hesitant sometimes to wait mm. and to hold off on making a hire until the last guy is done. So you saw that with the enemy. You saw that with Bowles last year. Um, maybe it'll be a little bit different this year because teams can interview candidates in week 17 and 18. I think that helps them um, because there's just that impatience that if you have an opening and you wait until February to fill it, not only are you not sure if you get that guy, but then can he get all the assistance he wants because five other teams that just hired coaches have filled their staffs. So I think Leftwich and Bowles are both uh, great candidates. Bowles is probably the more proven commodity because he's been a head coach, probably in a bad situation with the Jets where you don't want to ding him too much for what was just an ugly situation with a bad quarterback that didn't work out. What happens um, in New York stays in New York. Right. Absolutely. Right. So I think both of them could be, um, it definitely helps them both if they kind of end the season and the regular season back on track playing well. Um, and one of them honestly could be the guy that eventually succeeds Bruce Arians here. Bruce Arians has retired once is 69 years old. He's probably a championship away from walking away happy and calling it quits. So I do think both of them are aware of the fact that they could also step into a good situation here in Tampa whenever Bruce is done, which is probably kind of when Tom is done too. Greg, you're the best. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. Good to see you. Happy holidays to everybody. I really appreciate you having me on. You can find Greg on Twitter at Greg Amon. That is spelled A-U-M-A-N. Thanks to our guest earlier, also Darren Urban from Cardinals.com. He's on Twitter at Cards Chatter. A lot of focus on what's not going right on the show today, the teams that are struggling and the weird week that was week 15. I do have some good news. Let's end on a good note. Week 16 looks awesome. How about these matchups, you guys? Niners, Titans, mm? Browns, Packers. We've talked about the Colts, Cardinals, but oh my gosh, that should be fun. We've also got the Ravens, Bengals going head to head. And of course, the Bills and the Patriots. That game just crammed in there to that eight game early slate on Sunday. Rams Vikings is also in that window. Steelers Chiefs in the afternoon. I don't know if that one's as sexy as it once was, but you get my point. That's a lot of really compelling matchups. A very good Christmas present from the NFL schedule makers to all of us NFL fans. And I'll be back on Friday with a look at the week from a fantasy perspective. If you're still alive in the playoffs, congratulations. I went one and two in week 15. Also had a bye in a different league, so I've got two leagues left. And by the way, if you're out completely and you want to keep playing, our Friday show is chock full of daily fantasy information, a format I've kind of fallen in love with in the last couple of years. It does not have to be over for you. 
Anyway, we're back on Friday. Hope you'll join us then. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did and you want to hear more, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. The NFL Roadshow is also available on the SXM app, free for most subscribers. Just download it today and tap Podcasts. For video clips of the show and more, follow me on Twitter, Lindsay underscore Rhodes. I'm also on Instagram, Lindsay Rhodes NFL. The NFL Roadshow is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Andrew Immer. Cliff Augustin produced today's episode. A special thanks to SiriusXM Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen. Have a good one, everybody. We'll see you again on Friday. Serious XM Podcasts.